0: There's a ton of innovation happening in front-end frameworks at the moment. You know, we've got things like React server components, which are this kind of fundamentally new paradigm, and there's a lot of really good energy in the space at the moment.
1: Hello, and welcome to PodRocket. I'm Noel, and joining us today is Rich Harris. Rich is the creator of Svelte. He's joined us on the podcast before. I'm really excited to talk to him today. How's it going, Rich? Welcome back. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. We've got a lot to talk about, especially with Svelte and stuff. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about Svelte and Vercel and that relationship and like that merge, how that's felt for you. Kind of if you're excited about it, if there's been any problems, how has that looked? It's been great. And it's
0: been, I think, let me see, I joined in November 21. So 15 months at this point, I've got my feet under the desk. (laughs) And it's pretty much everything that I hoped it would be. I joined a cell from the New York Times with a remit to work on Svelte and SvelteKit full-time. And there was a lot of conversation about what that was actually going to mean in practice, like would I truly be able to spend my my days working on open source? Because that's kind of a dream job. And that's exactly how it's transpired. It's been really great because I get to work on a project that I care deeply about full-time, but I'm also in Slack channels with some of the best engineers on the planet, a lot of the people who work on Next.js so we can talk about ideas. And so mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff feeds from cell back into Svelte. But it also goes the other way a little bit because I'm there almost as like a privileged user of the cell systems. We get to test out new Vercel features before anyone else and we get to give feedback on on how they work. And so it's been this really great mutually beneficial relationship. I love working there.
1: Nice, nice. That's awesome has that new relationship changed how you think about things and prioritize? I guess for better or worse, has it impacted that workflow much? It
0: absolutely has for many years was just an evenings and weekends project for Mm -hmm. all of us. And that's still the case for a lot of contributors. You know, we have this pretty wide contributor base, including a core team of people who work on a mostly volunteer basis. That's great. We managed to get the project to a pretty decent state on that basis it does kind of prohibit you a little bit from thinking big picture thoughts about um, the architecture of a project. Mm. And so having the ability to think I've got 40 hours this week (laughs) to work on this project, like "What, what do we want to get done at the end of that 40 hours has definitely been a step change in not just the development velocity, which is kind of obvious, but also the kind of the scope and the ambition of what we want to take on. And that has really accelerated since Simon Holthausen joined Vercel as well. So he is another full-time Vercel employee working on Spelt. There's two of us. And having two people in that state, we have regular meetings on what we want to work on together. And it's kind of forced us to be a little bit more organized and professional in how we schedule our time and how we communicate the things that we're working on and so on. So it's been very good. I've, uh, you know, we probably should have had that professionalizing influence much sooner. This is, I guess, how real software projects are developed.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, very cool. It has that kind of capacity to work just dedicated on this full time. Has that contributed to the release of SvelteKit 1.0, you think? Would that have taken longer had you not had that kind of support? It would either have taken much,
0: much longer, or you know, perhaps not even happened at all, or we would have drawn a line in the sand much sooner and said, "Well, well, this is what you get. Mm-hmm. It would have been a much less good framework. Some of the biggest changes came towards the end of the 1.0 release cycle. Yeah, You know, we were making some very substantial changes to how the router was designed and how data loading was designed. And I don't know if we would have had the capacity to do those. And so we would have probably just shipped something that was done, but much less good. Yeah. It's hard to know what would have happened in that alternate universe, but I'm glad that we live in this one.
1: Sure. You mentioned a couple of the features of SvelteKit, but let's kind of contextualize a little bit for people who aren't like in the ecosystem, don't know what's going on. Maybe what is SvelteKit in relation to Svelte and how does it compare to some of the other front end? I'm hesitant to use like the word frameworks or libraries, but you know, it was like React and Angular. Yeah. None of these words really have a agreed upon definition. So you have to sort of start from brass tacks. Right.
0: I, I guess we should begin by saying what Svelte is. Sure. We call it a component framework, or some people call these things view frameworks or view libraries, equivalents would be things like react and view and solid and it basically solves the same problem of allowing you to build little snippets of your app in a declarative way that combine the markup and the styles and the behavior in this sort of cohesive unit that can then be composed into a larger application and what the front-end community has spent the last few years discovering is that that really isn't enough to build an app because you have your component framework but then how do you do routing? How do you do data loading? How do you handle environment variables? How do you handle server-side rendering? How do you configure your bundler to do code splitting? All of these other things. And when you're trying to solve these problems all at the same time, what people found is that you end up with these horrific homegrown solutions, or you end up with something very simplistic that doesn't offer features like server-side rendering, mm-hmm. which you know is bad for robustness and accessibility and performance and all those things. And so what we've been working on collectively, and not just the Svelte team, but the front-end community as a whole over the last few years, is building application frameworks that allow you to solve all of those questions, essentially. On the Svelte team, we started this journey in 2017 with a project called Sapper. That was the application framework for Svelte. And that trundled on for a little bit until a couple of years later, we realized that it wasn't really going in the direction that we wanted an application framework to go in. And so we began this project called Kit worked on it for a couple of years. We had the stable release in December, just gone. And this is really our answer to the question, how do you build an application with Svelte that has all of the modern best practices, is optimized for performance and SEO and accessibility and robustness, is really easy to develop, is really fast, and allows you to do all of the things that you're used to being able to do with modern web tech. And we're pretty proud of how it turned out. It's just the beginning. Like this is not the <laughs> this is not the final vision. We still have a huge amount of things on our roadmap. But we think that it is the best way to build web applications today.
1: Nice. You kind of mentioned a lot there. And I think it can get tricky, especially for newer devs, when they're kind of trying to discern between like templating or tooling used to create a new app, like the Create React app equivalent, right? Like a command you use to spin up an app versus more of a server side component that's helping optimize in performance. Where does SvelteKit kind of fall in there? Does it expand both? Is it really more about the like making routing work for server-side rendering? Is it handling a little bit of all of that? So it's essentially a
0: direct analog to Nuxt in the Vue ecosystem. Nuxt is, they would maybe describe it as an SSR framework for Vue, although it can do a lot more than just SSR. And SvelteKit is the same thing, but for Svelte. I guess the most salient difference is the SvelteKit and Svelte are built by the same people. Like it's the same core team working on both. Yeah, And so we have this very sort of cohesive idea of where both projects are going simultaneously. But they really have the same set of capabilities, I think. You mentioned Create React App, which is it's essentially a single-page app framework. Even the React team are, are now trying to get get rid of because it kind of codifies a lot of bad practices. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're building a React app, then you probably really should be using something like Next or Astro. But you know, if you're using SvelteKit, you can do a Create React App style application just by disabling server-side rendering. Mm. So server-side rendering is a feature of SvelteKit. You can disable it. Pre-rendering is a feature of SvelteKit. This allows you to generate pages of HTML at build time so that they can be served with maximum performance. But you can disable it. You can do dynamic server-side rendering instead. So all of these things, they kind of make it difficult to pigeonhole SvelteKit because there is no sort of category that... it slots neatly into but essentially whatever kind of web application you're building or even an application that just uses web technologies like something that you might find in an electron app or Atari app or a, a smart tv app or something like that mm-hmm. Svelte is our kind of official way to build an application with Svelte
1: so what else does Svelte kit offer other than the SSR like what are the big what are the big selling points Probably the most obvious feature when you start building a SvelteKit app
0: is this idea of file system-based routing, Mm. which isn't a new idea. This is something that people have been using to build apps for a long time. But this is our take on the idea of file system-based routing. And for people who haven't used it, what that means is that the structure of your application and the structure of your project are one and the same. Inside your roots folder, if you have a directory called about, then that will contain your about page. If you have a directory called blog slash, and then in square brackets, the word slug, that is the route that will power your blog slash my first article, blog slash my second article, and so on, Mm. all parameterized. And so it gives you this way of organizing your code base that is really easy and intuitive to navigate. Because if you know your way around the application, you know your way around the code base and vice versa. And then it connects that to a data loading system. So just now I mentioned that you might have a blog slash bracket slug directory Well, you need a way to get data into that page. And SvelteKit gives you a way of running a function that will load that data with knowledge of what that slug parameter should be. So you can communicate with your database or with an external CMS or wherever your data lives, and you can get that into your component so that you can generate some HTML. That is the heart of what SvelteKit is. It's a combined solution for doing your routing, and your data loading. Where it differs a little bit from more traditional web app frameworks, and also some newer frameworks that are kind of harkening back to the old days, like Astro, Mm -hmm. is that in addition to doing the routing on the server side, it will have a client-side router. As soon as your application starts, if you click around the app, then those navigations will be done purely client-side with the History API. Instead of forcing you to go all the way back to the server to get a whole new page, And then reloading an entire document so you get the best of both worlds you get this very fast startup time really good perceived performance really good seo all of the other things that you get with traditional server-side rendering but from that point forward your application behaves much more like a native app with instant transitions and persistent state and all of those other things
1: nice yeah i think we kind of lose sight now in this world we're like put everything back on the server because it's fast and you get like all these nice performance benefits it's like well There is nicety to like, we put stuff natively for a reason, like it's snappy, it feels good. So I think that that does kind of get lost in the conversation a little bit sometimes.
0: It does. And I think that Lighthouse is largely to blame for that because for such a long time, Lighthouse and Core Web Vitals and all of these other things, they're very heavily focused on the initial page load experience. But in reality, the main things that people interact with on the web And I'm not talking about the the long tail of content sites, but the things that people actually use day-to-day. You have these long-lived sessions where you are navigating around the app a lot, and if you have to go back to the server for each new piece of of HTML, then you're really suffering needlessly. You're harming performance for no good reason. Mm -hmm. The correct way to build almost every web app is to have server-side rendering and then client-side navigation from that point forward.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It depends on the typical use case for the app, right? Like content sites, recipe websites, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Like the initial page loads probably what matters. But any like interactive heavy app, it's like, well, it's nice when the initial page loads snappy, but we still want to have it like feel good as you navigate this heavy app, lots of pages, lots of navigation. There's something to be said for a framework, a paradigm maybe that handles both of those nicely. So like the developer experience is nice because you can be like, well, I can do pretty well on that initial load, but also like when I'm working on the heavy use side, you know, we still have all those niceties there. Let's talk a little bit more about the dev experience. Is there anything in SvelteKit in particular versus Svelte that makes it easier to kind of develop work on apps?
0: Yeah, Svelte by itself really takes the developer experience very seriously. Our whole raison d'etre is to try and deliver the best possible developer experience without compromising on user experience. Mm-hmm. And so we have essentially a component language, which is a superset of HTML, and it makes it very easy to express concepts quite concisely. Like we typically find that component built in Svelte is 30 or 40% smaller than the equivalent component built in React, for example, because we have this compiler that is able to, has the best way to describe it. It will instrument your code and because it understands your intent and it will translate that into something that the browser understands. The developer experience that Svelte kit adds on top of Svelte really largely comes from Vite, which is... Development server and bundling tool that's been around for a couple of years now. Sveltekit, I think, was the first major adopter of it outside the Vue ecosystem. And it provides you with this instantaneous startup, like not like the bad old days where you'd have to wait for Webpack to bundle your entire app before you could load anything. It will create everything instantly. And it has hot module reloading built into the core and a lot of other features which make it really nice to use. It has things like TypeScript built in. You don't need to configure that. And all of the other stuff that you sort of take for granted in a modern web code base, Vite just handles for you. And so SvelteKit is able to capitalize on that. We just get all of that for free, which is really nice.
1: Nice. Have you guys been pretty satisfied with that decision to go to Vite early? Absolutely, yeah.
0: It wasn't an easy decision to make. We initially started out with something other than Vite. We started with a project called Snowpack. And so it was quite a disruptive thing early on in our development cycle to say, Well, Vite 2 has just come out, and it looks like it solves our problems a little bit better, but it's still this kind of unknown quantity. Mm -hmm. But after a bit of research and kicking the tires, we decided that it was worth placing a bet on, and it really has paid off because, in case you haven't noticed, Vite has taken over web development completely. It's a hugely successful project, which has contributors from this very broad cross-section of the front-end ecosystem, including the Svelte core team. There's overlap between the Svelte core team and the Vite core team. Like we have this very kind of conversational and collaborative relationship with the Vite team, which has worked
1: out really well for us. We have several episodes on VET. Listeners can go find them. There's there's a, a bunch of information. We're all about it. Yeah. Every time I can be using it for like local dev in particular, the quick feedback experience is kind of surreal almost. It's so nice. How about like when it comes to like deployment, getting your app out the door, is there any improvement there over what you could do natively with Svelte? Are there a few more concerns because you have this potential kind of server running that will be in charge of some stuff as well, Is it add any roadblocks to deployment?
0: The server absolutely adds complication. If you're just using Svelte by itself, then you know, you're know you probably building a, a single index.html file with a JavaScript bundle, yeah. and you can just dump that anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's nice and easy, but obviously you lose out on all of the important stuff. And when we were building SvelteKit in the beginning, it was a continuation of the predecessor that I referred to earlier, Sapper. Mm-hmm. And Sapper's stance on this was you either deploy a node server and we will build a node server for you, or we're going to generate pages of static HTML. And that was basically what people were doing in the late 2010s. And it kind of made sense. But nowadays, you've got this plethora of different development environments and even different deployment environments and also different runtimes that are being used on those environments you have. Cloudflare workers, you have Dino, you have Bun now, Mm -hmm. and then obviously you have Node on Lambda. Mm -hmm. At Vassell, we have serverless and edge functions. Serverless is essentially an abstraction on top of Lambda, and edge functions essentially an abstraction on top of Cloudflare workers. And those are two separate runtimes. And so all of this stuff, like if you're left to deal with that yourself as an application developer, then you have a lot of things to worry about. And obviously your app is not going to be very portable once you've built something for a, a particular environment. So one of the first things that we did when we started working on SvelteKit was we created this concept of adapters. The idea is that SvelteKit will build a production version of your app and then an adapter will take it and essentially make it compatible with whatever deployment target you choose. Mm-hmm. And so we have official support for Vercel, Netlify, Cloudflare pages, Cloudflare workers. Adapter Static is, is a thing that will turn it into static HTML files if your app is suitable for that, and we can also generate a node server. The community has provided adapters for BUN and Dino and Azure and various other services. So basically, wherever you're deploying it, all you need to do is npm install the adapter in question, add it to your Svelte config, and and you're ready. You don't need to worry about the peculiarities of all of these different environments. It's just taken care of for you.
1: Is the API over which those adapters are operating. Is that bug-prone? Are there ever errors there? Is there quite a bit of work that goes into making sure that the adapters are behaving nicely?
0: Yes. I mean, this is one of the places where there's definitely some moving parts. The adapter API itself is quite simple, but different platforms have different quirks in, in how these things work. For example, on Cloudflare pages, every request goes through a worker On other platforms, if you have static files, then they are served before any function is invoked. Like little subtle differences like that can result in slightly different behaviors the adapters need to account for. And so, yes, we do definitely get issues on the adapters, but they're usually pretty quick to fix because the adapter API itself is is fairly straightforward. It's so nice that we're able to do it at the level of an adapter that we don't have to start trying to work around all of these quirks in the framework core because it means that like we can be working on these things in a kind of a a separate channel and we're not worried about making breaking changes because it's not in the framework itself and so i'm so happy that we made that decision earlier on it's a decision that a lot of other frameworks have since adopted like astro has the same concept of adapters and it's basically how things work now i can't imagine doing it any other way
1: Do you guys have like testing kind of around those adapters automated tests or anything that run either against like core or the tests or is it kind of manual
0: (laughs) that's a good question we should and we don't it's been near but not at the top of our to-do list for a while now we have like a demo application the thing that you get when you type npm create spelt at latest on your command line it will generate a demo application for you what i would like to see us do is add some end-to-end tests inside that application when we do create a SvelteKit app, it's really easy to add end-to-end tests and also unit tests via Playwright and Mm VTest. It just kind of configures that for you. And if we were to use that to create some tests that were run on all of the deployed apps on each of these adapters, then that would give us a little bit more confidence than just waiting for our users to report that something is broken. But even with two of us working full-time on SvelteKit, there really aren't enough hours in the day. That will probably stay near, but not at the top of our to-do list for a, a little while longer.
1: Yeah, that that seems totally reasonable. I think maybe just to clarify here, when there are errors like this, you don't have production apps that are down. This is just in like the build pipeline, right? This is just like the deployment process may
0: usually. I mean, you you can end up with with runtime errors, like maybe if if there's a typo somewhere, you'll get the wrong cache headers, or, mm. you know, something like that. Sure. Um. So th- there's definitely the potential for runtime errors, but you know, what what's what piece of software is free of that?
1: Cool. Let's talk about a little bit about at least kind of the, I don't know if the onboarding experience is the right term, but people like trying to kind of get into Svelte or SvelteKit. I know when I was messing around, I think it was Svelte.dev. Kind of very impressive to me, like super easy to go in and, and mess around. Can we talk a little bit about like the technology driving that? Who's been doing most of that work? Yes. So this is one of the things that people
0: really loved about Svelte back in the day was we had this interactive tutorial that's on the web. And it guides you through the process of building a component and building multiple components and stitching them together and shows you all of the features that Svelte has in this kind of sandboxy environment where it's very easy to learn stuff. And the way that that works is we have a code mirror editor on the page in a web worker. We have Roller with Svelte, like basically bundling your app on every keystroke and injecting it into an iframe. Mm-hmm which works really nicely like this is very fast to start up thing and and it's very responsive because it's like all happening in your browser on a web worker but there is a limitation to that approach which is that you can't run anything that requires node and because SvelteKit uses Vite and Vite requires node that means that you can't run SvelteKit using this this approach mm-hmm. And so when we were starting work on SvelteKit, we were thinking, like, how can we offer a similar kind of interactive tutorial experience that we already have on Svelte, but for Kit? And the answer came, I forget when it was released exactly, but at a company called StackBlitz that developed a technology called Web Containers. Mm-hmm. And Web Containers is essentially node compiled to WASM running inside your browser using a service worker to, to create a server that you then... Put inside an iframe. It's this complete mad science Rube Goldberg thing, but it works. (laughs) It allows you to run SvelteKit inside the browser, even though it's a node based command line interface. And so we've built a tutorial on learn.svelte.dev that actually uses SvelteKit. And it's split into four sections there's two sections on Svelte and two sections on SvelteKit. And you're actually looking at an entire SvelteKit project. Um, we've got like a, you know, a file editor and all of that stuff because it's running VEAT again, inside a web container, inside your browser, you get all of the hot module reloading, all of that stuff, all of the server side rendering is basically a complete SvelteKit developer experience, but running inside your browser. And so that was a really fun thing to build. We, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to pull yeah. it off, <laughs> Yeah, but the StackBlitz people, we worked quite closely with them and they did an incredible job. And it's it's at the point now where I think the content is about 80% complete, and you can pretty much use it to learn SvelteKit without having to install anything. You don't even need to run a command on your command line. You can just do it inside learn.svelte.dev. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, I've got to get a few more bits of content done, as I say, and a, a few bits of polish here and there. But I, for one, think that this is the future of, of how we learn frameworks, is having this stuff actually usable inside a browser. Don't make people install stuff, don't make people download stuff, just take them there and give them a sandbox to play in. So yeah, that's been super fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, I implore people to check it out. You can do it over your lunch hour, just give it a look, it's very slick. We got StackBlitz episodes talking about some of the cool tech behind web containers too, if people wanna check those out. There's there's some really cool stuff happening in this space. How about the roadmap, the future? What are you guys excited about uh, working on next? Oh, there's a whole bunch of
0: stuff. We just released a couple of really neat features, released a feature called snapshots, which has been quite popular. This allows you to associate state with a history entry, which is something that you sort of get for free with browsers. If you're developing a multi-page app, Mm -hmm. you lack some control when you do it. Essentially, if you, if you navigate back through your history, then rather than reloading a page from a server, it will reload it from something called the BF cache which is the back forward cache or sometimes the blazingly fast cache. <laughs> and in addition to the content of the page, it will repopulate any form fields. It will like scroll to the same position that you're at before, all, all those sorts of things. And apps that use client-side routing, like SvelteKit and Next and Remix and Astro, not Astro, but, but you know all of these other things. Next is what I was thinking of. Historically, like you don't get an equivalent of BF cache and snapshots is that thing. It allows you to associate state that you control with a history entry so that you can, for example, you're filling out a form and then you click on the terms and conditions link and then you go back and it hasn't destroyed your form input. So that's a feature that we just launched and that's been really well received. Another feature that we just launched is granular root configuration. So I mentioned earlier that you can deploy your app to any environment. Maybe that's Netlify, maybe it's Cloudflare Pages, maybe it's Vercel. But some of these platforms offer multiple different environments that you could target. On the cell, you can deploy your app as serverless functions or as edge functions or as static pages. And that works pretty well. But if you're building a larger thing, then you might find that some parts of your app run best at the edge. Right. Like they want to, the code should actually execute close to the user if possible. Mm-hmm. But then you might have other bits of code that, Either they need a node runtime, they need to run on a Lambda, or they should run physically close to where your data lives. And so those should be serverless functions rather than edge functions. And so the feature that we shipped last week allows you to configure on a root-by-root basis or a subtree-by-subtree basis where the different parts of your app should be deployed. Uh, You get control over the runtime, over the region. If you're deploying to a Lambda, you get control over the memory that's allocated to that Lambda, the maximum duration that it should be allowed to run, all of that sort of thing. And that's really cool because it allows works deploying to those platforms to take full advantage of the platform features. Mm -hmm. In the Vassell case, there's a feature called incremental static regeneration, which is sort of like cache control on steroids. It, It makes it really easy to have statically generated content, so maximum performance, but which is driven by either an expiration interval or you actively saying this page now needs to be regenerated and then it will regenerate it and push it out to the edge of the network all within under a second, which means that you get like the best possible combination of performance and dynamic content. And that's something that we're a couple of days from having support for in SvelteKit. Nice. So that's going to be really great. I mean there's so much stuff. We're we're looking at data streaming mechanism this week. We're looking at some more sophisticated control over routing. We want to be able to have like history-driven models and things like that. There's so much stuff that I'm kind of blanking on parts of it right now, but we've got a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I feel like a lot of the stuff you're describing kinda harkens back to what we were talking about before of like the different shapes of web traffic and how there's like different concerns on like very read-heavy applications that you care about every millisecond of that initial load versus interaction heavy stuff. It's cool to hear that you guys are kind of thinking about those different use cases and how one must rely upon the tools of the like hosting platforms. And it's a point of friction. A lot of the time you we are trying to like, make these frameworks that are nice to develop in work well with all the features of those platforms. So I think that is a, a noble goal to be to be working towards. So that's cool to hear. If we can zoom out a bit more, is there anything kind of more broad or more generic in this space, like the future of kind of front-end dev work? I'm hesitant to use the word like frameworks because it means different things. Is there anything kind of in that in this space that you're looking forward to or excited about?
0: There's a ton of innovation happening in front-end frameworks at the moment. You know, we've got things like React server components, which are this kind of fundamentally new paradigm. And there's a lot of really good energy in, in the space at the moment. A lot of it is slightly narrowly focused on performance. And and I think that the performance questions are obviously important, but they're the sorts of things that, you know, there's different trade-offs and things are going to get shaken out over time. Right. But I think the more interesting stuff to me is what innovations we're going to see in developer experience over the next few years. Like, I don't have any answers to these questions, but obviously everyone's very excited about um, what, artificial intelligence is gonna mean for programmers. Right. Like what is an AI-powered front-end framework look like, for example. In the more near term, I'm excited that people are starting to think more deeply about the real-time experience. We've got stuff like Replicash and PartyKit is a new product that hasn't actually been launched yet, but it's something that I'm very excited about. Stuff that's gonna make it really easy to add collaborative, real-time data to applications historically that's sort of been an an afterthought i think but you know maybe we're going to get start to see frameworks think deeply about how to integrate that into their architectures there's a lot of stuff i think that's that's like reasons to be hopeful and optimistic about front-end engineering at the moment
1: and yeah i think i think to your point as well of like performance there's a lot of focus on it right now i always i always wonder if like that is a justification devs use because they want to use the cool new stuff. And it's like, oh well, I can it's easy for me to say we got to switch everything if I can say we'll have 10% better performance.
0: What's the thing I'm thinking of? Goodhart's law, I think, where the minute something becomes a target, it's easy to be a useful measure. <laughs> but because it's something that's so easy to quantify, like time to interactive is it's an it's a number. It's a very simple number that you can understand. Right. And so people like quite rightly focus very heavily on these things. But you know, maybe the best representation of someone's experience of using the web. Mm -hmm. And actually, when you look at the main culprits of poor performance on the web, it's generally stuff that is outside the control of the technologies that people are using to build those sites. It's stuff like third-party ads and analytics, like all of these other things, which coincidentally are the biggest contributors to layout shift and annoying pop-ups and banners and all of that stuff. So people do focus on performance because it's an easy thing to focus on but i would love to see slightly more broad and considered view of what being a user of the web should look like in 2023
1: yeah
0: we're trying to do our bit i guess by trying to promote the the kind of best practices that we think are important we haven't Mm -hmm. talked about how SvelteKit handles form interactions and stuff like that for example but trying to essentially bake best practices into the framework itself so that it's as easy to do the right thing if not easier than it is to do the wrong thing
1: when you're just inherently encouraging people not to reach for additional like javascript libraries and stuff and you can just do it and it's performant and nice and kind of the way the web was intended to work maybe a strong term but the way it na- natively works everyone ends up in a better place for it at the end of the day yeah is there anything else you want to point listeners to I again mean, we talked about a lot any anything else you want to mention
0: if you're interested in building web apps with Cool new tech, then come to kit.svelte.dev We have a Discord channel full of people who will help you get oriented, svelte.dev slash chat. And we, you know, we have biannual conferences. We have a, a virtual conference that's I think the next one's coming up in May perhaps, and then a an in-person one later this year. And it's it's just a really fun community.
1: Everyone's really friendly. Come on by. Nice, awesome. Thank you so much for coming online and chatting with me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you.